0: Welcome to Chan's The Man Apologetics, a podcast for training followers of Christ to see reality through the lens of the biblical worldview. I'm your host, Chan Heron. Topics include Christian doctrine, apologetics, special guests, and of course, lots of fun. Let's get started. Can you trust eyewitness testimony? Eyewitness testimony is basically self-explanatory. It's when someone witnesses something and they begin to give their version of the story. A lot of times this is used in uh, you know, criminal proceedings. Sometimes a, a person may witness a car accident and they need to give a statement. Well, the New Testament contains eyewitness testimony. Something else to think about. Not only does the New Testament contain eyewitness testimony, but it contains interviews of eyewitness testimony. There were some of the writers who had access to eyewitnesses and they were able to record what those eyewitnesses saw. Now, in a court of law, that wouldn't be admissible because that would be hearsay. But when you're doing a historical investigation, historians can consider secondhand testimony. While it is true that eyewitnesses can make mistakes, it doesn't follow that they always make mistakes. We need to look carefully at the testimony that is given and the credibility of the witnesses on a case-by-case basis. Now, the apostles claim to be eyewitnesses. There's a couple of possibilities that we can look at after we look at their eyewitness testimony. But what I'd like to do now is I'd like to look at some of the eyewitness testimony that has been given about this person, Jesus of Nazareth, including his uh, his his death, his burial and his resurrection. And then we can draw some conclusions or see what some of the options might be to assess this eyewitness testimony. Let's start with the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. He had access to eyewitnesses, and he writes his Gospel. And the second part, which is Acts. So it's kind of a Luke-Acts, part one, part two. So Luke wrote the book of Luke, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. We're going to look at what he records in his two-volume set. But let's start with Luke 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So, Luke, who was a physician, he was also a great historian and he wrote an account with an amazing detail. He wanted to be very careful in order to get all the events right and present them to this gentleman who was Theophilus. Now we're not sure who he was. But Luke made it clear he was going to be very careful as he put this account together. The book of Acts records eyewitness testimony. Now, the first half of the book of Acts deals with Peter. And uh, Peter was one of the main apostles, and I'm going to I'm going to show you this pattern That we see throughout the book of Acts. And you kind of see Peter and some of Peter's followers saying the same thing over and over. They're basically saying this they're speaking to the Jews, Y'all killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, and the hymn talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Then just a chapter over, This is uh, Peter again in Acts 3.15, and he says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. You see the pattern. Y'all killed him, the Jews. God raised him, and we have seen him. We see this again in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Then they called them in again. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, in the first couple of verses, we saw they were they had seen him. Now, Peter adds a second sense seeing, and hearing. Then you flip over just a couple pages to Acts chapter 5. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Again, we see they are witnesses to this resurrection. One more in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 39 and 40. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God Raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not only do we have Peter's testimony recorded by Luke in the Acts of the Apostles, but we also have Peter as he is writing his own letter, his two letters to the Christians that were scattered throughout the world and being persecuted. In Peter's second letter, in the first chapter, verse 16, look at what he says here. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said we didn't we didn't come up with these cleverly devised stories. Others say other versions say uh, cleverly contrived myths and fables. Now Peter's saying, "Look, I am an eyewitness to this." The apostle John, who was in Jesus' inner circle, and he wrote the Gospel of John, First, Second, and Third John, and also the Book of Revelation. He has some things to say in his Gospel, and in John chapter nineteen, verses thirty-three through thirty-five. John writes, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. So John is writing about what he witnessed with the the piercing of Jesus' side and that his legs were not broken. But that's not the only part that John talks about. He tells us about Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, Thomas is my favorite apostle. You know, he didn't believe him right away when they told him this. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. Why does Thomas get a bad rap? Why do they call him doubting Thomas? They don't call Peter denying Peter. Thomas just wanted evidence. Thomas was an apologist. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace Be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What Jesus is talking about, though, is believe the testimony of the disciples. Thomas doubted the the testimony of the disciples because he was like any one of us. Dead people stay dead. He wanted evidence. In John's first letter, he writes this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ we write this to make our joy complete he uses a number of senses here he's what which we've heard seen we have looked at, hands have touched. Listen, this is something that they really, really investigated. This is something that they were really convinced of, and this is something that they were not expecting. We see more eyewitness testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, and this is Paul speaking, and look what he says here. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, the apostle Paul here records in these a uh, few verses, six appearances. What's interesting about these appearances is that three of them are to individuals and three of them are to groups. So the individuals are Peter, James, and Paul himself. Then you have groups, says, and then he appeared to the 12, over 500 brothers and sisters. And then to all the apostles. So you have not only Jesus appearing to individuals in the book of Acts and in pairs, but also in groups. Now here's what this does right here. This eliminates the hypothesis that the disciples were hallucinating. Hallucinations are experiences that are unique to the subject. People don't have group hallucinations in the sense where they all see the same thing. If there are a bunch of people doing hallucinogenic drugs, they may all be hallucinating, but they're not hallucinating the same thing. It's like a dream. You can't share your dream with someone. And invite them to come into your dream and go on a free vacation so not only is paul recording that there were appearances to individuals but also to groups so what are the possibilities of the eyewitness testimony that we've looked at well let's take one option the disciples could be lying They could be making this whole thing up. That's a possibility. The problem with this is that means that you've got the disciples involved in a conspiracy. The problem with the conspiracy theory is that it's difficult to keep a conspiracy together for very long when you have a large number of people. Detective uh, Jay Werner Wallace, who is a cold case homicide detective, talks about the, the main keys to keep together a conspiracy. And he says the fewer number of people you have involved in the conspiracy, the easier it is. He says uh, two people can keep a secret really well If one of them's dead. But the fewer number of people that you have, the better chance you have to keep the conspiracy together. A second characteristic in keeping conspiracy together is the co conspirators need to be able to communicate with each other. And the more people that you have involved in the conspiracy, if they are able to be separated, and interviewed it'll be a lot more difficult to keep the conspiracy together because they need to know what the other one is telling the authorities a third characteristic of keeping conspiracies together would be the family members because family members are more unlikely to um, tell on their their family members than strangers So it doesn't seem to be the case that the disciples were involved in in, in lying, that they were intentionally lying. And another reason why we know this is because the disciples were martyred for their faith. Now, many people will die for what they believe to be true, but nobody dies for a known lie. If the disciples were involved in a conspiracy, then that means the disciples are lying. And they have a and we have them all going to their death for a lie. That doesn't make sense. People just don't do that. Plus, when we read in the book of Acts, they willingly put themselves in danger because they were not afraid to say what their experiences were. So I don't think that the that the disciples The eyewitnesses were intentionally lying. So could the disciples have been mistaken? Yes, that's a possibility. But we don't just look at possibilities, we look at probabilities. Now, I'd like for you to do a thought experiment. I'd like for you to think about where you were on September the 11th, 2001. When you heard the report that there had been Planes flown by Islamic terrorists fly into the Twin Towers, into the Pentagon, and crash in a field in Pennsylvania. Most of us can remember exactly where we were on that day. We can also remember what the weather was. It was a bluebird sky sunny day. Why is it that we can remember something like that? It's because it's an impact event. There's certain events in our lives that that we would call an impact event. Maybe it's your wedding day. Maybe it's a day that uh, you lost uh, your your spouse or uh, a parent. Maybe it was some other traumatic event that happened, but those are impact events impact events we remember very well. We don't forget those kind of details because they're burned in our memories they are we can relive them over and over we can tell the person exactly what happened. One of the things that is so interesting about the the, the eyewitness testimony is that the disciples did not expect Christ to return. There was no teaching in first century Judaism of a dying and rising Messiah. So they would have not been expecting this to happen. And yet we see that this is exactly what they recorded and every one of them went to their death for the belief that they had experiences that they interpreted that Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to them. And according to Luke's account in Acts, he spent 40 days with them. In Acts 1:3, it says that he proved himself alive with many convincing proofs. Let me let me read exactly what Acts, what Luke says in Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God of god now the disciples were the first skeptics they didn't believe it they didn't weren't expecting it so they were so surprised when this is exactly what they came to hold after the many convincing proofs so while it is possible that the disciples were mistaken all of christianity is based on that one event and that one event is so important that it seems like they took very good care of passing it down and the disciples had disciples and you have clement who was a disciple of peter and you have polycarp who was a disciple of john and they also in their own writings talk about how their mentors had seen the lord so this is a this is a really important piece about the possibility of them being mistaken. It doesn't seem to be the case based on the num- the number of independent eyewitnesses, the consistency of their stories, their willingness to be put in harm's way, their willingness to die. It looks like their testimony is credible. Thank you for listening to Chan's the Man Apologetics a podcast aimed at promoting the Christian worldview. If you enjoyed what you heard today, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, I'm Chan Heron.